Hello and welcome to Lockdown Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Magdal, reminding you you can follow us on Twitter at LockdownWBB and, of course, follow 24-7, 365 coverage of women's basketball over at High Post Hoops. And I want to introduce a new sponsor today. We are brought to you by Built Bar. Uh, I just had the double chocolate mousse. It was delicious. Big major debate going on downstairs in my house right now with my children and my wife, whether it's the double chocolate mousse or the chocolate caramel that's best. Uh, we'll be continuing that after a wonderful discussion with Lisa Byington, who's here to talk about, and we were just chatting off air, about the Rutgers rebroadcast that's happening this weekend and very excited about that but about what was an amazing Big Ten season as well so Lisa thank you so much first of all for taking the time my pleasure Howard and if you want to talk about chocolate mousse um, me personally with a, with a sweet tooth if we want to go the whole way and talk chocolate mousse I am game for that as well we should probably do like just a chocolate mousse <laughs> podcast because I am all about that and yes the darker the chocolate the better and so I, I am I am I am grateful for the chance to talk both women's basketball and chocolate, just to be clear about it. <laughs> but, and, and I'm in the I'm in the camp that if chocolate is a part of the description, then I'm good. Milk yeah. chocolate, dark chocolate. <laughs> that's it. That's 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 <laughs> all that's necessary. It it's that that I am able to continue to get chocolate in this moment that's been fraught. You know, that that would be the shortage <laughs> I think would be too much for me. So I, I am I am with you on that. <laughs> So let's start, if we can, we'll start in the distant past. And 1982, the AIAW, um, and it's a really interesting time for women's basketball. It's the final year that the AIAW has its own championship. Uh, They had gone their own way in, in a similar way to what we've seen in women's professional tennis, where the WTA created its own thing. And then the NCAA, as so often has happened in women's sports, saw, hey, this is viable, this is popular, and and went ahead and made a move in that space as well. So we're at the final AIAW championship, and it's between two absolute giants, Teresa Grant on the sidelines at at Rutgers and Jody Conrad coaching at Texas and went on to win, of course, NCAA championship as well. When you're watching it, I'm wondering just what are your initial feelings? Because we were talking about this before, there aren't a lot of opportunities to experience visually the women's game at that time. Exactly, Howard. I, you know, when when uh, uh, Big Ten Network and, um, you know, one of our, our senior producers who's in charge of original program, and if you watch Big Ten Network, then you watch The Journey and, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, the head honcho, for lack of a better title, <laughs> His name is Bill Friedman, and he gave me a call, and he's trying to describe this game that, that you kind of, you know, sort of glossed over, this 1982 National Championship. And he said, look, you know, um, we have a – there's an independent production company that's, that's doing a piece on this game and, and, and Rutgers as national champions, and they're calling it the Forgotten Champions. But they have given us access to this national championship game that you mentioned the two legendary coaches. Not only are they two legendary coaches, but they're they're playing in a legendary arena. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Palestra, uh, from my understanding, this was the last national championship that was played at the Palestra yeah. as, as well. And so you have a historic venue. You have two legendary coaches going head-to-head. And then, so then he's, he's telling me about the coaches who are involved. He's telling me about the, the history piece and the fact that this was hidden, and basically this is a coach's film 
that was hidden in a box that uh, that that Brian Shank, who is a relative of Teresa Grant, kind of found in mm-hmm. this box, a tape in this box, and and went to this production company and said, "Will this help you with your documentary?" <laughs> and it's like it was like the missing piece sure. that this production company needed to tell this story. That it was so hard to find video of this game, which to me boggles my mind about a national championship that no one had seen and and you think about how easy it is to watch things these days so that's that's where i start is just kind of processing all that information and then let alone some of the players who took part in this game and and what they've become it's it's really a a special special timepiece in women's basketball the thing i always think about excuse me when it comes to these stories is like you said there's not a visual piece to it and that's despite the fact that Title IX is 1972, so it the aftermath of Title IX and the explosion in women's sports is during very much a television age. And so there absolutely should and can be this type of record. But how we find those records, it's, it's sporadic just because of the enormous gap in coverage. Uh, between men's sports and women's sports at that time and on television and quite frankly the amount in which it persists to the current day. It's one of the reasons why uh, I personally am so grateful for the Big Ten Network and the work that you guys do to make sure the fact that there is a dedicated women's sports report, the fact that there is so much coverage both on the main channel itself and also being able to get it on BTN Plus that we're able to see in real time and see those stories happening now but there is, there's this backfill that is necessary, that's vital, and that the people who built it from the ground up are around to tell those stories. I, I think, you, you know, you mentioned some of the players, but to me, Chris Daly being part of that is such a significant thing for me. And so I, I can just say personally, having covered UConn uh, for a few years now, whenever you ask Chris about herself as a player, she's very reluctant to talk about herself. She's not somebody who likes to toot her own horn in, in, in this business. Uh, she stands out in that way. And so being able to see her play and rebound, and I just love the fundamentals of the way she was boxing out. I'm curious what you saw from her as a player, and you know, can you throw a comp on her when you think about her as a player uh, to someone more modern? That's what I've been working on. That's what I've been trying to think about all day. Right. You know, um, well, I just enjoyed reaching out to her and had the opportunity to just talk to her and, and especially Coach Grintz. And, and we had the opportunity to watch this game that now Big Ten Network has kind of produced. It's a YouTube link. And mm-hmm. you, everyone else listening to this podcast can go out and listen to it as well. Right, I'll make but, sure we're sharing that as well. Uh, listeners, you yeah, go and make sure you check that out because there's a full half hour. It's delightful. It's just amazing. And it's Lisa and it's Chris and it's Teresa just talking about the game as they're watching it. So do not miss that. So we were joking during that recording, uh, you know, Chris Daly and I, because like the national championship game, now she's a senior on this team. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and and she's part of a senior class that there's like four Division One head coaches on this team. So, you know, you mentioned Chris Daly, Mary Patty Coyle, um, who have been head coaches or, or coaching at, at, at some level, mm-hmm. um, and and um, and June Olkowski, you know, with it was a coach as well. So those that's part of your senior class right there alone. But 
we were joking that Chris Daly had one of her worst games in the national championship game. <laughs> so unfortunately, if you sit down and you, and you try to watch this at eight o'clock Eastern, right on Saturday, we, we paired it down to about an hour on BTN. Um, you're not going to see a lot of Chris Daly in this game. Cause he gets in foul trouble. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Fouls um, out. Spoiler was, alert. Yeah, so yeah, her time was limited, and and that's really my my watching this game is is really uh, the start and finish of my evaluation of Chris Daly's <laughs> playing career. Unfortunately, <laughs> but uh, you know when we were recording kind of that talkback as we watched the game together. We joked about it, and she's so self-deprecating and has a great sense of humor. And and she said that, you know, she fouls out in this game with about three minutes to go. Mm-hmm. So she's dying because she's a co-captain. She's a senior. Like this was her last go-around at college, right? Mm-hmm. And so she's just saying how she just finally took control of the bench. Like that was her. <laughs> she couldn't have control on the court anymore. So, uh, so she took control of the bench, and then. If you watch kind of when they eventually end up winning it and uh, there's the trophy ceremony and she, as a co-captain, she comes over to accept the trophy and then she's calling her whole team to come on over and, and she joked and she said, I, I was just bossy back then. Like, I was just bossy all around. Like, I was bossy on the court. I was bossy as a bench player, you know, after I fouled out. I was bossy during the award ceremony. So... She definitely, uh, and I think Coach Grant had even said this, that, you know, they had they had pinned her as being a coach mm-hmm. back then, not just for how she played, but just kind of the person who she was on the team. It was very, very evident that she had some leadership skills and was going to be in this game for, for many, many years to come. You know, she's had such success working with Gino, and, and, and Gino Oriema talks all the time about how integral she is to everything they do. Brianna Stewart will say the same thing, Diana Taraz you'll say the same thing. I can't help but wonder if we had seen her get an opportunity as a head coach, and and she certainly had plenty of them. It's not like she's never fielded those calls to be able to build a program herself. It's one, to my mind, one of the great what ifs of the last generation in women's basketball. It would have been something I'd love to see. Um, I, 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 I do think it's an interesting, larger responsibility that we have, right? And something that I, I know you take seriously as well, which is that these stories and being able to tell them, and you've, you've done it wonderfully in so many different ways, whether it's at the Big Ten Network, whether it's been on the WNBA side calling Chicago Sky Dams, but it's still so much the case, even now, even as we're, you know, slightly uh, a couple of years away from 50 years of Title IX, right? That it's the very beginning in so many ways for women's sports, even now. And do you feel that excitement and that obligation to know that we're telling these stories of the beginning that will never be repeated? Absolutely. I, I think it's actually one of, if there is a silver lining to the time and era that we're, that we're sitting in these last few months with no sports, what have we been able to do? We've mm-hmm. been able to reflect. That's what we've been able to do. We've been able to reflect on some of the greats, you know, whether it's sitting down on a Sunday night. I feel like the whole country is sitting down with me and watching The Last Dance, yeah. you know. Um, and, and, and whether it's sitting down and having an opportunity on a Saturday night when normally it's, it's spring sports going on, but having an opportunity now on, on coming this Saturday night to showcase a game like this 
and and reflect at the fact that this is these were some of the greats in the game. These are some of the greats in the game, and this is where it started. And now we have time to actually sit down and savor it. You know, yeah. I have been able to like put my phone down and watch some of these classic games again <laughs> that are on TV. Um, I just I remember uh, going back and watching the Maryland National Championship uh, that that was shown, you mm-hmm. know, right at the beginning of when this quarantine sort of era, and and it just just seeing like Christy Tolliver, you know, like hit that shot to send it to overtime and, and knowing what she's done now, there's just a certain level of reflection that this time is giving all of us um, a reflection of where we were. Cause I don't think a lot of people really realize where we were and, um, and how far these, these personalities have come and, mm-hmm. and the game has come. And it's just, that to me, like I said at the beginning, is is just one of the benefits if there can be during this time of um, of just trying to make the most of it and, and understanding the most of the history of our sport. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a great point. And again, that gap exists, as we talked about, in a greater way on the women's sports side as well. So there's there's more ground to be made up. I, I think a lot you know, when Ann Donovan passed it was a real wake-up call for me to be thinking about, and I had had the privilege of being able to uh, cover her and interview her for uh, several different uh, projects that I was doing, um, but the idea that we can't take for granted that these figures are here to tell the stories forever, and, and there's catch-up work that has to be done. So being able to take advantage of that moment uh, the way we're we're doing here and the way the way the Big Ten Network is doing on Saturday night, I think is so vital. Um, but I would be remiss not to, while I have you here, to chat about the crazy season that we just saw on the Big Ten conclude a bit prematurely. And and I know we were talking a little bit about Maryland before we came on the air, but to my mind, Maryland, this Maryland team, had an opportunity to win a national championship. We've heard lots of people talk about South Carolina and talk about Baylor and talk about Oregon and say, well, they would have been the champions no matter what. That's not Brenda Fries' style. And so Maryland hasn't necessarily been in that conversation. So let's talk on Brenda's behalf. What do you think? Do you think Maryland was a legitimate national championship contender this year? I think you'd have to put them up there. And it certainly they were going to be a number one seed. I firmly believe that. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to be a number one seed, there has to be a chance for you to win a national championship. And we have seen some crazy things happen in the NCAA tournament in the last few years on the women's side, which I love. It's become more unpredictable. And um, and, and I love the fact that, that there are some, some other teams now that, that we're talking about. We're not just talking about two or three teams. It's become a, a deeper a deeper tournament, so mm-hmm. to speak, in the last few years, and I love that. Um, but, it, but to your point, Maryland had made um, an incredible transformation. Now, I did their game on New Year's Eve, and it was something about maybe turning the page from 2019 to 2020. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, they on, on that New Year's Eve game, they lost to Northwestern and got crushed by Northwestern. Mm-hmm. And there was something when they got into January where they turned the page and everything clicked. Now, part of Maryland's story 
this year is the fact that they changed their their defensive philosophy. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Brenda Freeze reached out in the offseason and, and, and talked with Chris Beard, the Texas Tech men's coach, and picked his brain about some of his defensive philosophies. And we all know what, what Texas, Ten, Texas Tech men's basketball has done defensively. Mm-hmm. So she was trying to integrate a new defensive philosophy in the non-conference. So if you watch Maryland play in the non-conference season, uh, they were not the same team as what they were going into or what should have been the NCAA tournament because it was January, February, March where all of a sudden those defensive philosophies, the changes that they made, clicked. They've always been successful as an offensive team, but they needed to marry both the offensive side of their game and the defensive side of their game to become that that number one seed in that championship program that that you now saw and are addressing as as they got into March. It's so striking, by the way, to me, that a coach with a national title on her resume and and frequent trips to the Final Four and a regular as a host of a top-four seed year after year is looking to change things in such a significant way. And that openness to new ideas, I think, in, in and of itself was the reason why I I named Brenda Freeze uh, Coach of the Year uh, in my best of all times uh, capacity. And, and that was the reason for me. It, it's not just being able to recruit, being able to bring these players along, being able to see the way they grew. I mean, Diamond Miller, you look at what she did from November to March, mm. and it was just mm-hmm. a remarkable story of coaching, success, and growth. But being able to do that on a team-wide level on one side of the ball and a willingness even to do it was just amazing to me. She's an adapter. I mean, I, I follow her on social media, and, mm-hmm. and even now, you know, when there's no sports going on, uh, she's she's trying to adapt herself. I mean, she, she's doing TikTok videos with her two sons. <laughs> there, there aren't that many coaches who are doing are willing to put themselves out there like that. It's you know, true. so she's it's... she's willing to take risks at the and in, in kind of the funny social media side, but she's also willing to take risks as, as you talked about with her team. It, it is, it is a huge risk to roll the dice and, and change um, your defensive philosophies on something. And they were not a good basketball team and, and they adapted. She, she took that risk, rolled the dice um, rebounding was one thing that was sacrificed and Maryland is always one of the top rebounding teams in the country, mm-hmm. um, especially rebounding differential. And, you know, they were like, I think low sevens in terms of the rebounding differential in that new year's Eve game that I, I talked about against Northwestern, mm-hmm. but she just, she accepted the process. And, and, and I think that's also one thing of hers. If you're an adapter, you have to understand that that change is not going to be automatic. And so it's going to be a process. And that, that is one thing that she has understood, that a freshman is not going to be the same player as they are as a sophomore, junior, or senior. This team is not going to be the same as what they are in December versus March. And so she very much is very self-aware of, of what clicks and, and what doesn't and, and what needs to be done to get herself and her program and her team better as as we're just in a constant world of change. It's just, it's a great what if, and and also a great what if, is that team, it's one thing to lose a game by a lot, but to lose a game by a lot to Northwestern, well, Northwestern was an elite team this year. And, you know, to talk about your alma mater, I think we would be remiss not to do so. When you look at what that team was on the cusp of doing, 
Is there a, an added twinge for you to think about, geez, you know, this really could have been, I, I think of it, and, and, and the comp I would make is when you saw uh, Kelsey Plum and University of Washington break through a few years ago and surprise people and make the Final Four, what it said about the Pac-12 and, you know, the, the Pac-12's depth extending well beyond Stanford. And it was a real precursor. I thought Northwestern had a chance to do that this year. What did you think? I think they definitely had a chance to make some noise in the NCAA tournament. Um, I still would probably put um, Maryland as the team that if it, if I were to say which team's going to go the furthest, I would mm-hmm. still put Maryland as that team. But I, I do put Northwestern in that category as the team that could be the surprise team, one of the surprise teams of the tournament. Yeah. And, and they just, you know, the, the development that they had at every position – it, it was just part of their success story this year. Uh, you had Abby Scheid, who was basically leading the nation in three-point field goal percentage. Mm-hmm. You had Abby Wolf, who who played inside, and 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 basically no one, you know, no one really knew who Abby Wolf was, and and all of a sudden she's averaging double figures. You have Lindsay Pulliam, who stretched her game out and could now shoot more of a three-point shot. Mm-hmm. You had a Veronica Burton, who was their point guard, and became Defensive Player of the Year, and so. You take, I mean, that's like four of the five starters, you know. So, so you take uh, just every position, every individual piece. They got their game better in the off season, and 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 all of a sudden you're like, well, here are the same players. Like, let's not forget that this team got to the WNIT championship and fell short to Arizona. So, this was not a team that was new and hadn't experienced some sort of tournament success. Mm-hmm. Even though it was in the WNIT, um, the core of that group that finished runner-up in the WNIT was back this year. And, and back after tasting some tournament success, back after playing in April, right? Mm-hmm. And everybody wants, that's the goal of every basketball team is to be able to play in April. Well, Northwestern did that. So, so now they're not, they're not scared of success. Now they're not scared of postseason success. Now they know what it takes to be successful. Uh, you take that, that, that very strong end of the year last year, you get a very strong off season, and, and you produce what they did throughout the regular season, and it had been decades long since Northwestern had won a Big Ten championship, and here they are toe-to-toe with Maryland, which has been the class of the Big Ten since they entered, you know, and, and, and they're question. co-champions. I, I mean, and that Arizona game, when they were playing in the WNIT last year, it was clear, all right, these two teams, are assuming people return, are going to be legitimate NCAA contenders uh, in the year to come, and that's exactly what they were. I think they both would have been top four seeds, both would have hosted pods uh, in the NCAA tournament had we had a chance to see it. So that that's going to be really interesting. Of course, you guys are getting... Uh, in Anna Morris, somebody who I had the chance to see uh, here in New Jersey, uh, who's coming next next year, top 100 recruit, just she's going to fit in so well over there. She's long. She's got she, she's got the wingspan to go along with it. Feathery touch from three point range. She's going to come in and help right away. So enjoy. She's going to be a lot of fun over there at Northwestern as well. But well, well, good, well, yeah, good. Yeah. Um, but I'm I, excited I, to hear more. I would, I would just say, I, I'm, I would be remiss not to ask about your game. And so take us through what the experience was watching you play. Who's your comp? <laughs> well, first 
of all, uh, you don't want to look up my stats because <laughs> they're not stellar at all. Howard, I was the backup point guard. Okay. Um, I did I did play both basketball and soccer, mm-hmm. but um, I uh, I I I was a backup to um, a point guard named Amber DeWalt, who was a little bit taller and could handle the flex offense a little bit better than me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, but who was I? Who was I? Oh, gosh. Um, I was the little pest that wanted to press you full court. Um, I was the pass first, shoot second point guard. Um, I was, uh, I had to use my quickness because, you know, they listed me at 5'6". I probably wasn't exactly 5'6", mm-hmm. but that's what they listed me as. And um, so I was just, I was going to be the fighter. I was going to be the spirited player. Um, I was going to be the energy provider, and um, whether I was going to be on the court or on the bench, I was going to try to be consistent in that way. That's what, the kind of college player I was. Why don't we throw a Muffet McGraw as a player comp on you? Muffet McGraw has <laughs> described that as what her role was as a point guard. That's it. I, I don't. I don't know if we want to bring uh, Coach McGraw down to that level. I will take it, but uh, I'm not sure if, if she would be so gracious as to give that away. I... We'll, we'll we'll run it by um, her. We'll see, but <laughs> it would be it would be an interesting thing uh, to be able to go back. And I am I am going to have to go back and look, and I I refuse to let you uh, denigrate being a multi-sport star in the Big Ten. That's something that. Uh, gets endless credit from me. I I, I, I peaked at 11 and nowhere close to that. Uh, 11 years old was as good as I got as a player in uh, the Cherry Hill, New Jersey, JCC League. So no, 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 you, you come far ahead, far ahead of me. So let's talk about this before we let you go. And we were talking a little bit about this off air as well. How are you getting your sports fix right now? What, what are, what are the musts? What are, you know, we're watching the last dance together and I grew up in a Knicks fan. So, you know, it's just very painful to watch, uh, you know, part six in particular, uh, going back and reliving, uh, my childhood of sadness every spring at the hands of Michael Jordan. But what about for you? What, what is, what have you been doing to be able to get that fix? You know, surprisingly, I've actually kind of disconnected from the sports world and Hmm. and um now that you asked me that question i I realize how little uh i actually have been watching um you know i still follow stuff on social media and all the sports figures and stuff in that way but the last dance has really been the only thing that i've consistently tried to not miss and Mm -hmm. only because i grew up as a huge michael jordan fan from ceiling to walls to my you know entire door was covered with michael jordan posters so that's not something that i that i wanted to miss but it actually has given me some time to do something i don't normally do i mean my life has been surrounded by sports so much in terms of my profession in terms of my recreation Mm -hmm. that it actually for me has been a nice pause and I've, i've picked up a couple good books um I've, I've just, I've sat and meditated, you know, like mm-hmm. I've just had the quiet, the pause, the peace of not having noise around me all the time, of not having a game to prepare for all the time, of not having the choice of going to a game or watching a game all right. the time. And, and it's actually been, uh, been nice to sort of, um, disconnect and, and reconnect with some friends, with some family, mm-hmm. um, make sure that you're reaching out to the important ones in your lives right now. And um, it's giving me great perspective. Now, having said that, 
I can't wait for when it returns. I can't wait for when we do have the choice of going to a game. I can't wait when I have to, like, pop open my laptop again and it's time to prep for a game. Mm -hmm. I cannot wait for, for those moments. But as for right now, since it's such a different time, I, I, me personally, looked at this as an opportunity to do something that I don't normally do. That's and that disconnects from sports a little bit. Well, you, you're everywhere all the time, so that is so well-deserved. And I'm glad you're getting the opportunity to do that. And I'm real excited to be live-tweeting with you uh, and the group uh, who are going to do it. Can you let our listeners know who they should be following Saturday night uh, when this game is on uh, and making sure at 8 p.m. Eastern time on the Big Ten Network that you are watching this vital historic document in women's basketball. <laughs> After I got done saying that I've disconnected the sports, I know. And now here we are. It's true. <laughs> At, at, at 8 p.m. Eastern. So for those who, who are listening to this who might not still be certain of, of what we're talking about, um, let me just say that uh, the, the 1982 National Championship AIAW game that, that we were addressing at the beginning, Rutgers and Texas, so Big Ten Network uh, whittled it down to an hour watch. And it'll be from 8 p.m. Eastern to 9 p.m. And so um, we're encouraging, as Howard had mentioned, we're encouraging everyone who's listening to this to just sit down and, and, uh, and tweet with us. So, so the list of people, Teresa Grant is going to be involved, the, the Coyle sisters, Patty and Mary Coyle, Chris Daly will be involved, June Olkowski, we mentioned those, those um, who were players are going to be involved. See Vivian Stringer, of course, the current Rutgers head coach, mm-hmm. Carly Lloyd, um, the, the soccer legend, she is uh, voicing that documentary that's going to be coming out about this Rutgers team. She has agreed to live tweet. Um, Howard, Mel Greenberg, uh, Dick Weiss, Harry Peretta, uh, Nicole Auerbach. Uh, I mean, just, just awesome. some people who um, are really, really important in the media business. Um, Hoopfeed has also been in, involved as well. So just some really consistent people in the women's basketball world who, who cover this sport and have passion for this sport. And we're going to have a little bit of fun, you know. Um, it'll be something, you'll see things that you haven't seen before. You'll see officials wearing skirts. <laughs> <laughs> you'll see um, you'll see some actual physical play inside the lane. Uh, you'll see a shot clock. You know, this game, remarkably, was played with a shot clock. So all these different things um, at the Palestra and in, in between two legendary coaches that it's only an hour of your time um, this Saturday from 8 to 9 Eastern. And, and I just certainly wish that you, um, you being the, the listeners and the passionate people of women's basketball can join all of us because that's a pretty hefty list. It is. It is. And, and again, you know, the Palestra, I grew up in South Jersey, so I remember my dad taking me to the Palestra uh, on a handful of occasions, and it was just the loudest place I'd ever been. That's just what I remember even more than anything else was just the sound of it and the way in which you felt uh-huh. enveloped and enclosed by that sound. And listen, I, you know, in subsequent years, I've been I've covered playoff games, World Series games, you know, NBA playoff games, NCAA tournament games It wonderful arenas all over this country. But the palestra at that time, uh, it, 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 it's just a singular place to be. And so the fact that we can be virtually uh, transported there is something I am very excited about. And uh, Oh, absolutely. It's, 
it's uh, it, and it's amazing too because it's still you can still feel it when you when you watch the game. You mm-hmm. can feel the history of it too. Um, I, I also would be remiss at my uh, my partner in crime, uh, Christy Winter Scott, is going to be tweeting as well. So if she's listening to this, and I didn't mention her name, she might not ever work a basketball game with me again. So I had to make sure. <laughs> the the great Christy Winter Scott always always merits a mention. Everywhere. I talk about a person who's everywhere. I was uh, taking an Uber home from covering the WNBA Finals last year, and the Uber driver was talking to me about it and, you know, was marginally excited about different people who I might have met. Was Oh, did, did you by any chance see Christy Winter Scott there? And, like, freaked out at the idea that I had ever spoken to Christy. That she was this legend. I've seen her play at Maryland, and oh my God, please tell her I'm I'm her biggest fan. And it was such a kick out of that. But he had, to my mind, a full understanding of her greatness, and I felt really good about that. If you and I've done several games with Christy at Maryland, and I I swear <laughs> that it's not the politicians at at right. that night who need like you know security. It's Christy because. <laughs> She is the mayor, the governor. I mean, you name it. Everybody wants to talk to her when she, she's there and does the Maryland game. But they, she's phenomenal. So she'll be a part of Saturday night with us as well. That is awesome. And uh, they should name College Park after her, and they should name Columbus after Katie Smith. That, that would be, I think, the logical <laughs> way forward as far as I'm concerned. Let's, well, let's let's get that moving. I'm in. I'm I'm in, and now we've got the time to do it because sports on pause. So good. Right. I'll, I'll yeah. I, I will send you the um, the petition right when we get off the air. But Lisa Byington, such a pleasure. Like I was saying to you before, you know, such admiration for the work you do uh, across this space. So thank you for taking the time to chat with me. Oh, I, I appreciate you having me on. We've been in and around each other's circles, so it's fine. It's nice to finally uh, connect in this medium. Look, and um, the only thing I require, if uh, you want me on again, is just any sort of chocolate uh, mousse <laughs> that you can send my way. It is. I'd be good with that. Here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to break bread over chocolate mousse when all of this is over and we get to cover a game together soon. I can't wait to do that. I'm in. Right. I'm in. Awesome, Lisa. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks, Howard.